0: Len, how's Seattle going, your weekly update?
1: Seattle's good, although I'm really tired of not having any furniture at all. You don't have furniture? Nope. Well, we didn't move with any. and Is it still in a box? Well, we didn't. We don't have any furniture.
0: But you had furniture when, before you moved, right?
1: Not really. So oh. uh, when we moved into... That house in Rittenhouse, it was already like pre-furnished and then the few things that that I had were like shitty anyway and not worth moving all the way across the country. So I did not bring any furniture at all.
0: Did you have a lot of Ikea furniture?
1: Yeah. I had Ikea furniture that I had already moved twice, which doesn't tend to work out. So there was like pieces missing and it was like, it was terrible. There's one thing that I like missed parts for and just like nailed together. It was ridiculous. So now we have nothing but a Casper bed.
2: Is Casper that startup that makes mattresses?
1: Yeah, they make like memory film mattresses and they sponsor like every podcast on the planet.
2: How long have you had it? Like two weeks. Okay, Emily also has one of those and she really likes it. Is it good? So she says I haven't tried it. But they have like a sweet 30 day trial, right Lynn?
1: I think it's like 100 days. Okay. Which is what sold me. And mostly just the convenience so it it's like memory foam, but it's not as shitty as memory foam. But it comes like kind of packaged in a pretty small box, and then you just open it.
0: Isn't there like another mattress startup, like Needle and Bobbin or something?
1: I tough,
0: yeah, Tough Tough, tough to Needle,
1: <laughs> which doesn't sound like I want anything I want to sleep on. <laughs> no, I've been uh, hit with a barrage of ads from them ever since I ordered my Casper, which is <laughs> kind of ironic. Are they like inflammatory. Well, yeah, it's like I don't need another mattress now, so it kind of seems like bad targeting.
2: I wish Google knew when you've already purchased the thing, because that happens with all products, right? You search something, and then you might have bought it at Amazon, and then you start seeing ads for either that same product or. So similar. you're saying they
0: you wish they had access to more of your information, so they could track your ads better.
2: Maybe, maybe <laughs> I should own it. They maybe
0: they should it. they should just have access to your credit card statement. Speaking of, Apple Pay randomly stopped working for me. I'm not sure why. I stood have- in line at a Starbucks for like 10 minutes trying to get it to work to enable the app.
2: Do you have PNC?
0: No, I have uh, Chase.
2: Okay.
0: Why is PNC dead? Uh,
2: they were the one of the last ones to sort of get it working. And every time I pay at Whole Foods, they're always scared that it's not going to work. Who uh, is? Whole Foods, because they have a lot of trouble. Even the cards with PNC, um, it seems not to work with technology too good
0: <laughs> the
1: verification process with pnc is such a pain in the ass too it took me like an hour i spent a half an hour on hold when i was setting up my card for apple pay and i called with a cell phone and like literally 30 seconds after i got a human being um, my cell phone call dropped
2: oh man <laughs> pnc does have good uh security stuff though really so when i went, when i went to when i went to new york they called me that night, saying, "Hey, like we noticed some transactions that looked fraudulent. Are these your uh, your purchases?" I, I thought that was pretty cool. Like they saw my card being used in another state randomly, so they triggered a security alert. Did you have a bad experience with that? Or
1: I never understand the algorithm, and it always seems like the most ridiculous things. Like I bought an Apple Watch at the Apple Store, like three blocks from my house, and it it triggered. <laughs> I spend so much money on Apple. Like you'd think they would know that—that's <laughs> a likely purchase for me.
2: That must be really working on that part of their system. Must be really insane and fun. I wonder how that works. We should get somebody from PMS or any bank. If you work at a bank,
0: I'm sure a bank is really willing to talk about
2: <laughs> how their their security processing works and their security.
0: It's a good thing to remember, though, to like call your bank ahead of time before you travel. Yeah, I actually did that when I went to Mexico, and it. I think it worked out pretty
2: well. Because they green light your transactions, right? Yeah. The first time I used Square Cash, uh, they denied the transaction and then I had to call. And uh, they green lit every transaction for that amount to that person.
1: Yeah, that's what confuses me about their algorithm because I actually like transferred rent money through cash and like that was my first transaction. And they're like, okay, you're just going to like send a lot of money to some random person. We're okay with it.
0: They have limits. I think it's $2,500 a week for Square Cash. I'm not sure about the other services.
2: What well, have you been working on, Len?
1: Um, nothing too interesting. Still the same Rails React stack. Although our, our stuff is getting to be a little more uh, like single page app-ish. So looking at actually adding kind of router components and maybe like a Flux architecture. It's following the inevitability of single page apps. What is a Flux architecture? Um, so there's like a, a ton of implementations, but it's more of just like kind of a top down, push data down to the React components, and then events kind of bubble up to a global store. Uh, I don't know much more than that, hence me saying I'm looking into it because I need to uh, I need to, to uh, do my homework.
2: Are you, are you the one making that decision or is it a team effort?
1: Well, we already have, all React components, and that wasn't my decision, but um, yeah. So, in order to not redo work, I think it, it makes sense to uh, to use just read the React Router and Flux architecture.
2: It seems so. I was actually talking to someone in your team, and it seems you guys do a lot of Ajaxy kind of jQuery form stuff. Is Flux gonna help you with that, <laughs> or uh,
1: hopefully, it depends how you know how much stuff we want to rewrite. Okay. You know, to, to what Justin said, I wish there there should be a name for that theory that, like, any app created after, like, 2014 is going to inevitably turn into a single-page application. So don't even bother with trying to write HTML on the server. But we well, we, we well, did do that, I mean, and we have some complicated forms, and Rails is generating the forms. Um, so basically what happened is, we, you know, we have, like, a, a super complicated form with, like, tons of children, so we're using like, rest, like uh, Rails nested attributes. Um, and then a requirement came in that, oh, we want this form to show up somewhere else in the page. Um, so you can just like click it and, and get it again. Oh, and then we want like five instances of the form to show up. So in order to not recreate this super convoluted form on the client, we end up rendering it once on the server and kind of ripping it out of the DOM with, with just plain old jQuery and sticking it back in as we need. So it's kind of super gross.
2: <laughs> so why is that a thing now? That all apps built after that time will be single page. Like, what is causing that? There's people who want it to be used a certain way, or?
1: I think it's just you know a mix of user expectations. Like so many sites do this, people don't expect you know to have to reload the entire application when you just want to one little form to post. And then I think coupled with that is just all of the client-side frameworks that make that a little less painful than it used to be. So more people do it and then users are just expecting it. So it's just kind of inexcusable to be like waiting three seconds for your page to load. I
0: also feel like from an architecture perspective, like day-to-day programming on a project, you want some functionality on your page that is more, um, I guess real-time or whatever, a little more interactive than pure HTML can give you. And then you end up in a state where you're like maintaining this HTML version, and then kind of putting this other behavior in like one part of the page, and then that starts to get super confusing for the developer to like keep track of like, well, when does this load? Like, where do I go to test this thing? It just seems so much cleaner if you just have a clean demarcation of like, here's an API and the server, here's a JavaScript client, connect them together, and they should work.
1: Yeah, that's how I generally approach would approach an app that I was doing in Greenfield it was just not even write, you know, rails views, just write an API. I mean, you know, asterisks, depending on the, on, you know, specifics, if you need SEO and et cetera, et cetera. But I generally do really like that architecture and I've had it work out really well a few times where we built an API and then we build the API for the web client and then we have an API ready to go when it's time to make uh, mobile apps.
2: So have you ever seen your API? past the web client like have you um was there a web client that was built for your api and then someone built uh say ios or android client and you were there for that yeah yeah how did that work out
1: it worked out really well i mean you know the api didn't have everything the app needed we needed to make some changes but you know for the most part it, it just worked
2: you didn't find that like for different platforms you would want like more data in your api call or like did you have a specific endpoint for ios devices Versus the web client? or
1: No, they all consume the same thing.
2: Okay. I feel like since different uh, platforms display data differently, or you might have a slightly different design, the same API might not work in both places. I'd be interested to...
0: I think as long as you want the same data in both places, it mm. works. I guess you could get yourself stuck with um, choosing a standard, cho- choosing a competing standard from another platform, but I don't know much about that. Like JSON API seems to be doing a really good job of um defining what a JSON API looks like. But it's possible like on a iOS or Android client that you might be using a framework that doesn't expect that format. It, well, the, you could you could make it work though, right?
2: JSON API is a movement to standardize JSON, right? Yeah. Like a schema kind of
0: specification.
2: Yeah, it it defines like
0: when you should have a root element and um how you should link things, and probably a bunch of other decisions I'm not thinking of.
2: I have been working on just the Rails API for iOS client. How's that going? Pretty good. Uh, it's in the so we were in the phase of so both started greenfield, which is cool. Um, and the iOS client started using the API, but not uh, as much as it it should, you know, because they were like logging in and stuff at first. And now they're at the phase where they're like at the same stage in development as us and we're finding bugs and whatnot so we're in the like bug fixing phase slash feature development which is fun um realizing that some features are needed that are not there that we didn't think of before like certain use cases um that users might have that we didn't implement
0: are you working on the iphone app at all
2: no i have read some of the code like sometimes we have questions about what they might be doing or what call they're making, and the man, the person that's working it is not available. And I'll open it up in Xcode because we have access to it and um, read it. It's in Swift. Ooh. So they have been complaining about Swift a little bit, not as much these days. But when I first started, they're like, oh, yeah. You know, like the biggest complaint is like Swift will throw an error, but it's not the actual error that's happening. Um, hmm. But I think well, Xcode will do it. Um, we're using TestFlight to get the bills out to us. It was my first time using that.
0: Test like pretty cool.
2: Yep. So,
0: Although I haven't used it since Apple bought them.
2: Everything's through iTunes now, right? iTunes Connect. So.
0: It's been a while, but I've worked on, like, two iPhone apps. I really enjoyed it. Something really, um, I guess, pleasing about running native code on something that, like, it... I don't know. With a user web browser, like they're making a request, and the server is somewhere else, and there's a network, and stuff can just go wrong. But on a native app, like everything is just right there. And I feel like I have a lot of confidence that like it works on my phone, it works on somebody else's phone.
2: The UI stuff seems uh, mathy.
0: Mathy? Oh, like
2: getting all the, uh, the layout stuff, right? Yeah, and transitions and all the effects and stuff. <clears throat> and they've been talking about, I guess, UI kit. This is what Apple made to make uh, like stuff scale for different uh, uh, screen sizes. Apparently, it's really complex. But it's good that Apple is, uh, I guess, kind of standardizing on those things and not allowing the developers to come up with their own solutions because it could be fragmented. So if they come up with a solution, it's that's the way to go.
0: I know RubyMotion has some, a couple of frameworks like that.
2: I just out that RubyMotion changed their uh, pricing model. To what? A monthly thing now, a subscription. How much? I think the the hobby is $16 a month, I think. One six. six.
0: And it was $200 a month before, right?
2: A year. or to, uh, A year, sorry. Yeah.
0: Huh.
2: It really comes out to the same thing. 192
1: I was just debating about renewing RubyMotion. I haven't...
2: Uh, I don't think I'm going to renew mine. Um, I think I'm more interested. So I have not played with React Native, but... I think I'm more interested in using that now um, than Ruby Motion.
0: React Native? Yeah. It's,
2: Are
0: it's, you more interested in that than Xcode and Swift?
2: I don't know. I think I've gone through phases with mobile development, and I sort of didn't want to learn Swift. When it came out, I wanted to learn it, and then I was like, oh, I haven't done any mobile stuff since then. But React Native seems like an easy thing to get into. Versus learning Xcode and all the other things.
0: But it's JavaScript.
2: Yeah, but you can write Clojure Scripts, oh. which is why I'm sort of interested in it.
0: So you're going to use Script to write React Native for iOS.
2: How crazy is that? <laughs> oh, man are you going to renew it Len or you just haven't decided yet what are some like pros and cons about renewing and not renewing
0: <laughs> I imagine the pros are you can continue to use it yeah. the cons are you can't
2: well I mean
0: I guess if you have an app in the app store you kind of need
2: to yeah or you can rewrite it on Swift if it's you probably I guess yeah I was gonna uh,
1: I did lose I just lost all my momentum like I did my little um, CrossFit app and then I had plans to do something else and then I haven't touched it in like 10 months. I had a couple, CrossFit timer? Yeah, which is simple enough. I could just rewrite it in Swift if I was wanting to make some changes. Which There's a couple bugs that I wanted to, uh, to fix. Do you use it? So it's like a very niche thing. So it, it actually only really applies to maybe one out of five workouts, if that. But when I use it, it's like actually really useful.
0: Hmm.
1: So all it is, it's like a... I tap it to count because surprisingly, in the middle of a Metcon, counting to eight can be really hard. <laughs> when you're doing like a, a two minute round, uh, and if you're not keeping track and your you know mind is being deprived of oxygen, kind of the worst feeling is being in the middle of a workout and not knowing if you're on round five or six. And basically whatever you choose at that point is going to make you feel shitty. You're either not sure you're doing extra work or you're not sure you're cheating the workout. So what my app does is just well, I was using an app that was just like a simple, simple counter, so I could just leave my phone on the floor and t- and touch it. Uh, but what I wanted to add is just kind of like my average time. So if I have a goal, um, what I see is a progress bar. So if I want to get you know ten rounds in ten minutes, there'll just be a green bar that that I could see from anywhere in the gym. Uh, and then if I'm running overtime, it turns red, so it just can keep me on track to to move at the right pace.
2: What is a uh, metcon?
1: Metcon is kind of the like conditioning part of the CrossFit workout Uh, but it's also generally uh, the part that is scored so you're doing movements either you're doing like a timed movement um, or you're doing uh, what's called AMRAP as many rounds as possible so you'll have ten minutes Mm -hmm. and you'll try to do as many rounds in that ten minutes and that's where my timer thing is uh, applicable.
2: I just watched this documentary on bodybuilding called Mr. Olympia, which is on Netflix. These guys are crazy. Um, They're saying they eat around 9,000 calories a day, and all they do is work out. But surprisingly, they don't lift... uh, So they lift way more weights than I can. But for their size, like one of the guys is just benching like 345s on each side. I was like, you're huge. Uh, So that was interesting. Do you guys know any bodybuilders? No.
0: No. A close friend of, friend of mine actually competed, uh, University of Pennsylvania has a Mr. and Mrs. Penn competition. He came in second place. Nice. We always call him Mr. Penn anyway.
2: They do some interesting poses. The lawnmower. Which one's that?
0: When you you stand aside and then you like take your hand and like reach to the ground and pull up like you're starting a lawnmower.
2: Oh.
0: I call it the lawnmower crowd favorite
2: so the goal in bodybuilding I, I think is to work all the muscles so when they're posing they must show all the muscles like each part of your body has to be you know, worked out or shaped I guess so they have to do pose in certain ways and like move their body in certain ways so certain muscles get flexed
1: that's the long numbers for yeah yeah, ironically, bodybuilders are not that strong compared to like, you know, strongman people or, or well, I guess I'll just leave it as strongman people.
2: <laughs> well, there's powerlifters, right? Are they yeah. strongman?
0: I mean, there, there's some overlap there.
2: but Okay.
0: I've been uh, working out, practicing for, for some sports, my uh, rocket-powered soccer. <laughs> uh, this game called Rocket League came out on PlayStation 4 and PC. It's free on PlayStation 4 if you have uh, PlayStation Plus. It's a lot of fun. Javon and I played the other night. We were a good team.
2: Yeah, Except, at, first, at first the game looks uh, looks not very good, but yeah, the, it's actually really good and challenging.
0: Yeah, the idea of like cars and soccer sounds really corny. Um, but when you play it, first of all, you're just driving a car around trying to hit a giant bouncing ball into a net. That's fun on its own. But the game has like double jump, so you can press X to like pop your car off the ground and hit X again and push the stick in the direction to do a flip and kind of like launch your car in that direction and that that gets to be a lot of fun. And especially I actually, a game I didn't with, like, know that Oh uh, yeah. Um, you don't need to know that to to play a little bit, but
2: so I've been playing more and more um, and I've been trying to go slower. So sometimes you go really fast and you just like drive past the ball. I'm also getting better at power sliding, so I, uh, I can power slide in front of the ball and get to it. But now I might implement that, that flip into the ball.
0: It takes a lot of thinking ahead, too, because your car, it's, it's a car with wheels, so it can only move forward or backward unless you're jumping in the air. Um, so you kind of need to like position your car in a way where you can go the direction that you need to be in.
2: Also, the the uh, I noticed that the on the ground, there's a sh- like a circle of where the ball is, I think, or where the like if the ball's in the air, the circle tells you where the ball is, so you can kind of.
0: That's if you don't have ball cam on. Uh. So there's a, there's a ball cam which locks the camera looking at the ball the entire time and makes it really easy to play because you can just kind of drive around. You're always looking at the ball. Um, but the only downside of that is whenever you uh, like launch your car in a certain direction, double jump like a bicycle kick, you need to like really think hard about what direction your car is facing and what direction you need to push relative to your car and not relative to the camera. Anyway, it's a ton of fun. You should try it, Len. You should stop playing Here's the Storm for like a day and just check it out. It's a tall what's, order. What's Here's the
2: Storm?
1: <laughs> uh, Here's the Storm is, I think I picked it a few months ago and I've been playing it basically Blizzard's all year. Blizzard's League year. Legends. For yes. PlayStation? No, for uh, PC and Mac.
2: okay.
1: I don't think Blizzard's League of Legends is a, a good description, <laughs> since League of Legends is a ripoff of Dota, which Dota was created in Warcraft, so it's this circuit, like, circuit, not say circuit, circuit <laughs> um, It's a funny little pipeline.
2: I paused Last of Us to play Rocket League. And on Saturday, I went back to it, but all week I've been Rocket Leaguing.
1: How far are you in Last of Us?
2: I met up with cousins it's the the adult guy and the adult and the kid um and we are heading to the radio tower now so i got past the uh i escaped in the night in the nighttime. do you remember that
1: yeah yeah you're you're uh about two hours away from everything being awesome
2: okay how long is the game
1: it's like 12 15 20 maybe you can play it different ways you can just kind of storm through it or do what i do and just Constantly save and try not to ever waste ammo, <laughs> and look in every single corner for, for ammo and
0: health.
2: I've not played that yet. I want to. My, uh, I really like the bow and arrow, and the Molotov cocktails.
0: It's
1: it's fun, like for a zombie game that you're you can't just like barge through. and I normally don't like stealth games, but something about it just really clicks, and it has the best story of any single player game I've played. Did you watch the opening scene, Justin? No. Oh, it's so good. You should watch it. And then you'll want to play it.
0: <laughs> is it like on YouTube or something?
1: Yeah. People have made like movies. Like, There's a YouTube video of just all the cutscenes because the story is actually probably good enough to watch by itself.
0: Hmm. Uh, we should start a Rocket League podcast instead of this one. We'll talk or, about Rocket League and then programming sometimes.
2: Rocket League seems to have some challenges that they do talk about publicly.
0: Oh, they're scale- uh, server scaling, mm-hmm. server issues. Yeah, so they. Uh, it's the sequel to another game called, uh, let me try to get this right, Super Acrobatic Rocket Power Battle Cars, S-A-R-P-B-C. Um, and that was a, apparently a really fun game in the community, but n- nobody really knew about it outside of the community. I'd never heard of it. And then Rocket League was coming to PlayStation, um, and they had a beta in the game of June, and that got a lot of attention. At least I, I found out about it and really liked it. Um, so I've been looking forward to it since then. And then it came out for free on PlayStation and was paid on PC last week. I think on the July 7th it came out. And it has dedicated servers. Whenever you play a game, they have a server instance rank somewhere that hosts the game. that They provide. Um, I'd be curious to know how that stuff works. But they've been having so much traffic and so much success that they've been constantly under like too much load. I know earlier in the week they had like uh, 140,000 players concurrently playing. Um, I think management's been higher than that since. But they've been really responsive on Twitter, like saying uh, if things are broken, what they're doing to fix it. Uh, when they do like rolling restarts or server restarts, they they, they tell everybody about it. Uh, that seems super interesting to me. Like, how do you how how does that kind of like uh, game hosting work? How does matchmaking work? Like, essentially, if you're playing with six other people that are randomly found, you need to, like, tell a service that, hey, I'm looking for a game. Then it needs to either, like, find a bucket to put you in or create a new bucket for you and then match other people to you. You'd be just curious to know how that stuff works. So how do they make money? It's a free Uh, game, right? Well, it's a free game. It's only free because it's actually $20. um, But Sony uh, PlayStation Network, it's the game of the month for July. So I think they still give them a portion of the sale price, depending on how many people download it. Um and they and they've also sold it on PC, which makes money. And they're also gonna have DLC for cosmetic stuff. So that's the other cool thing is you can customize your car. There's like uh, I think ten different cars you can choose. And then there's a primary and secondary colour. The primary colour is like bluish or orange ish. So orange ish is like everywhere from yellow to pink and bluish is from like teal to purple. Um and then you have an alternate color, which is like a stripe or other designs you can do. Then your rocket-powered part has um, – your your booster has like a a, a trail, uh, I guess like a chemtrail. Uh, so mine right now is a rainbow, and it makes a cool sound when you turn it on. They have one that spits out snowflakes, one that does bubbles, one that spits out flowers. Um, I think I just unlocked last night one that has like a – it's like water. So it looks like I'm spewing water out the back when I hit the, with the, hit the booster. And then you have like an antenna, so you can put like different country flags on there. And they're supposed to be like adding more country flags soon because they don't have all of them. Uh, And you can have—they have hats. They call them toppers. So I wear a pirate hat. But you can also have like a a taxi cab topper, so it looks like a little taxi symbol on your car. Or you can put a pizza topper, which is like a pizza delivery driver. (laughs) So how much have you spent on this? Oh, this is all included in the game and just unlock right now. But I think they're going to add like paid DLC to customize your car too.
2: DLC meaning downloadable content.
0: Yeah, but it's all it's all cosmetic. None of it changes the gameplay at all. I think your car shape might affect the hitbox. I've heard, but
2: well, I mean, also if you have a so I drive like a bus shaped car, I would imagine that has a uh, larger collision uh, box versus a smaller body shaped car. Maybe yeah, I'm not,
0: not I'm not sure on that. That's what I've that's what I've heard. The, that same van that you have, somebody said that they, uh, I saw a picture on Reddit where somebody customized it. looked like the one from Pizza Planet from uh, Toy Story.
2: <laughs> not familiar.
0: It's a good movie. You should watch it.
2: Oh, I've watched Toy Story. I don't remember the pizza. Oh. I will rewatch it, though.
0: The pizza uh, restaurant with the green aliens in and the, and the machine. Anyway, it's a good game.
2: Hey, you went to GopherCon.
0: I did! I did not play Rocket League at GopherCon.
2: How
0: was it? <laughs> it was all right. We're doing better with Rocket League.
2: Did you like? Did you learn anything?
0: Uh, I did learn some stuff. Uh, I don't write a ton of Go day to day, so it wasn't. Uh, it was interesting, um, but there was probably a lot of stuff that like I didn't connect with because I don't. I'm not primarily a Go developer right now. Uh, but I was really just in Denver for the HashiCorp uh, meetup slash retreat because we're a distributed uh, company. We like to get together in one place for a week, a few times a year. So it was, it was my first time hanging out with all my coworkers at the same time. When I first started, I was in San Francisco for a week, but I was just with the, uh, the locals and whoever was in town that week.
2: Did you go to the go kit talk?
0: I did. Uh, I also listened to, I think Peter, I'm not going to say his last name. I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, but he, he was also on a podcast. I think it was a changelog talking about it. And that looked super interesting. Um GoKit is essentially like a framework for
2: the enterprise for Go. K-
0: kind of. Yeah, for uh, creating services that talk to each other and all the stuff that that entails. Um like you need things for service discovery, you need things for uh I guess serialization. Um you need you need rate limiting, you need uh what was the other thing called? Did we talk this last week? I think we did. A little bit. Yeah, so, yeah, just that. You should go watch the talk when it comes on YouTube or... A changelog episode? Yeah. Was it
2: 165, I think?
0: Yeah. There was also a talk about running Go on mobile. So I missed the talk, Uh, unfortunately. I really was looking forward to it, and I got myself shaving. So I hung out in my hotel room, trying to stop my face from bleeding for, like, two hours instead of going to the talk. Um, But apparently she showed off how to... Write an app once and run it on Android, iOS, and uh, command line
2: Even that was pretty the cool. Line.
0: Yeah, like on your computer.
2: Wow.
0: so I want to watch that when it goes, when the video goes up. That seemed kind of cool. Like it seemed like something you might want to write your app in whatever language, and then if you want to do like lower level stuff, instead of writing C or Objective C or I guess Java and Android, you could just write go. That seems kind of cool. There were other talks about the history of Go. There were talks about communities and code, codes of conduct that they announced for the Go, for Go community. Um, met a lot of cool people.
1: What percent of your time are you writing Go these days?
0: Not a lot. Like five, maybe. <laughs> it's kind of like when I get, uh, not bored of Rails, but I guess uh, I just need a break. I usually work on Terraform, which is an open source um, tool. So my next my next project's going to be adding a provider to Terraform so you can do um Namecheap as a DNS host and registrar. And I have a lot of domains with namecheap, so it'd be nice to be able to just pop them in Terraform and manage them that way.
2: So what would be Terraform's role? To to like you can buy a domain from Namecheap or
0: No, no, like let's say you I mean you probably could do that. Um I think they have an API for that, but that's not really what Terraform's aimed at. It's more like Uh, let's say turing.cool, let's say you own that domain on Namecheap, and you want to deploy turing complete to an S3 bucket, and then you want Terraform to configure DNS to point to that bucket's website address, Uh, it will do that all automatically for you. So you're basically enabling Terraform to manage DNS records on Namecheap.
2: You guys also have a DNS simple provider, right?
0: Yep, Terraform has a DNS simple provider, and uh, you can do Route 53 records also on Amazon. I think those are the only two DNS hosts that are currently in there, but I could be wrong. Does DigitalOcean have DNS? I don't know. It's not important. Terraform's cool. If you make instances of, uh, like, on EC2 or anywhere else on the internet, you should try it. It's pretty good. Even if, like, you're just a a solo developer and you have, like, one DigitalOcean droplet, you should try playing with Terraform and making the droplet that way. It's really easy, and it'll help you down the line when you want to change that droplet. Are
1: you guys so, ready for picks?
2: Sure. I was gonna say I'm going on vacation for three weeks starting on Monday. So if anyone wants to pair with me or wants to work on something that's open source, should get in t- in touch.
0: Are you interested in writing a namecheap provider or Terraform?
2: How? Uh,
0: the answer no, I guess. No.
2: Well, <laughs> it's sort of yes. How uh, like how much do I need to know to? Uh,
0: I think you would go as a very. Uh, I guess I'll call it simple language.
2: So my problem with Go is it's uh-huh. not pretty.
0: It's not pretty at all. All
2: right, I just like have a mental block. But so
0: th- yeah, I, I, I agree. But the cool thing is like with the Go Go fmt command, people pronounce it. like say Go format, Go fmt. Um, cool thing about that is you find yourself just like writing code and not caring about what it looks like, and then you when you save it or format it, it mm-hmm. will just automatically yeah, look for you. look pretty indented. Um, it's still very verbose, but yeah, I like oh. to try writing Go. Like I would write Ruby and see what happens. What does that and, mean? Well, Go has like a lot of uh, like let's say you want to f- f- tell if something's in a list or not, like in a in a in a slice, which is a variable length array in in Go. Uh, you're like, I have this string which is a, and then I have a list of uh, strings, and I wanna I just want to know if that this this string that I have is in this little list. The way you do that is you like make a variable called, like, needle, then you iterate over the entire list, and then you check if it's equal, and if it's equal, then you set it, then you break out of the loop, and then you have your result.
2: (laughs) So I feel like I've seen recently someone released a library with a bunch of...
0: Like, select or filter?
2: Yeah. I'm sure there are, but it's not very idiomatic to
0: use, like, these external libraries, which I find, uh, I guess, frustrating. It really bothers me in the testing side, because I want tests to be... I'm okay with tests being, like, magic. Like, I, I, Tell me if these two things are equal. I don't want to write a bunch of iterators to go through each element and check if they're equal.
2: Do you think that that doesn't matter in Go? Apparently not. I don't know.
0: I I, I don't write enough Go to actually okay. feel like I'm an authority on the matter.
2: I will at least give Terraform. I will at least play with Terraform. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of uh, checking out different offices of people in uh, the tri-state area. But I don't know if that's a good way to spend my time.
0: Do you have anything lined up?
2: What is it? What anything. Like what do you mean? A job?
0: No. Uh no, no. Somebody no. to visit.
2: No, I just had that idea like this week. I was like maybe uh I should talk to people and see if I can hang out in their office for uh, a day or something. But do you have any recommendations? Nope. I will visit the Justin Campbell's residence.
0: You're more than welcome. We can get uh, cookies.
2: Alright, we can do pics.
0: So what's your pick, uh, uh
2: My music pick is a rapper named Dane Jordan. Uh, just discovered him through DJ Jazzy Jeff. Um, and my programming pick is an app called Skylight. It's skylight.io. Um, I got one of my clients to use it this week. And it's pretty, it's very pretty. Um, it's, it's useful. Uh, it's similar to New Relic. It's a performance tool meant for, I want to say, Rails. Um, or Ruby-type apps. Uh, it shows you sort of response times so and whatnot, and garbage, I mean, uh, how many objects you allocate. Um, and it, it immediately uh, showed us some queries that we could optimize, which is nice. Um, and the onboarding process is really cool. So you sign up, and then you go to this page, and you add the gem to your Rails app. Then you say, uh, button install. And then I think you do like Skylight init or Skylight setup or something, and you give it a token. And like once it's done, so the page that you loaded will say, like, waiting to set up app. And then once you initialize the uh, Skylight in your app, the page will uh, automatically reroute to like your app's dashboard with all of the metrics or all the tables that metrics will populate. So the onboard, they did a really good job with usability and onboarding and ease of use. And it seems like they have uh, a decent documentation on uh, errors that they provide. So like if they say, like, hey, this SQL query um, seems to be used twice in the same request, you can click a link and uh, read uh, about different ways of optimizing SQL and stuff. So it seems like they're putting good effort into it. So check it out, skylight.io.
1: So as I mentioned, I would uh... Digging into React, and I actually signed up for Frontend Masters a few months ago, and forgot that I signed up. Uh, a lot of the courses there are uh, like introductory, but there's some good ones. There's a uh, courses on React. There's courses on hardcore functional programming, ES6, a bunch of uh, CSS frameworks. And what I really like about it is just uh, the course layout. I think it's my favorite out of any like online tutorial thing. So every course is broken up into short chapters. And when you watch the videos, there's speed controls, which are always my favorite thing. So I'm watching my React course on 1.7x. And that's frontendmasters.com. Justin, do you have a pick?
0: Uh, yeah, I'm gonna pick Papertrail, which is papertrailapp.com. It is a logging service. So if you have more than one web server, or one web, more than one server, I should say, um, I was playing with this when I was doing some testing last week of uh, like creating servers and destroying them, and I wanted to find out what was happening without SSHing to all of them, because so I was creating like five at a time. Uh, so PaperTrail, you create an account, there's a free tier, and then you can configure uh, Syslog and install this other tool called Remote... I think it's called Remote Syslog? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, Remote Syslog. Um, basically, you install these tools, and you can point the Remote Syslog at... Uh, text files on disk like your app logs or whatever other logs you want like your Apache logs or Nginx logs Uh, and then they just start flowing into this uh, web app and you can filter the web browser or there's a command line client where you can uh, tail logs locally. So every place I've been at like that wanted a logging infrastructure spent like one engineer spent weeks getting it set up and then it needs maintenance and this seems like a really great solution to just not do that.
2: We actually use Papertrail on one of our apps, and it's really nice.
0: Do you? Awesome.
2: I wish to. Do you know if there's a way to configure the themes, or is there a theme? Because kind of too I, dark for me.
0: I haven't got that much into it.
2: Okay.
1: Cool. So show notes are at Turing Cool slash fifty six. Follow us on Twitter at Turing and I'll talk to you guys next week.
2: Bye. Yes.